Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Joe Manis. And... Uh, Representative Jake Hummel. Jason is out. Yes. Today is actually his last day... Of maternity leave. Paternity leave. Paternity leave. Paternity leave. Yes. Let's give him a little bit of credit here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, Jason will be back. Uh, next week. Yes. So, yes, he'll be back next week. But we do have a special guest here, um, leadership in the House. Tell us a little bit about your district before we get into some of the legislative happenings, though. Sure. Thank, first, thank you for having me. Um, I have the 81st district in the House. It's a portion of South St. Louis City. Um, basically, uh, the everything from Gravoy uh, all the way to the Mississippi, and then it runs close to the city line all the way down to right before Anheuser-Busch at Lions Park. So um, the easternmost portion is a heavily industrial area part of the city, and uh, the rest is basically blue-collar cla- blue uh, working-class uh, neighborhoods. Now, you're the Democratic leader in the House. Can you talk a little bit about yourself, how you got in politics? Sure, I can. I'm actually a 16-year member of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Okay. Um, I've always been involved in the political process through them, and they kind of uh, helped me with that. And in the St. Louis area, um, we kind of have a unique um, organized labor structure, whereas we have labor clubs, and they kind of do the, the groundwork. Um, I helped found the city labor club, and I, I started working on a, a lot of state rep campaigns, helped a lot of people get elected, um, and just decided that I wanted to do that myself. And, and so that's how I started. And my former predecessor in the House... Uh, uh, now Alderman Tom Villa. I knew he was uh, going to be term limited out, and so I, I started a couple years out trying to uh, lay the groundwork for, for running, and so I did. Now, you're in charge of a minority, and it's somewhat of a small minority. Yes, it is. Uh, right. Compared to, let's say, 15, 20 years ago when it was the even, tables were turned. Even 10 years ago, yeah. I think. So how do you manage that well, I think that you know the challenge is trying to be trying to stay relevant. How many Democrats are there in the House uh, right, now? right now? There's 52. Okay, and, and that's we do have of, a vacancy, and that's out of 163. Three. Yes, yes. It's a. Uh, we are at the exact opposite uh, low numbers that the Republicans were when they were at the um, low point of their their political power in the state house. So the exact opposite numbers. When we were when we were in the, the strongest that we had ever been, we had the exact opposite numbers. So how do you deal with that and how are you handling that? Uh, well, we're, we're just trying to stay relevant. And, uh, you know, how do what you do I that? Tell, well, what I tell my members is that, you know, every one of us, we may not be in the, in the majority, but every single person that's there was elected to represent their same 37,000 constituents and that their voice for their constituents' voice has to be heard. And so you have to make sure that you're at your microphone, you're speaking for your constituents, and you do it in committee, and you have to make sure that you project yourself in a positive way. And uh, if you look at at what has happened in, um, even though we don't have the veto numbers now, Boy, there sure is a lot of talk about us being relevant when it comes to veto session. I mean, the the things that passed last year, some of them passed with uh, um, some help from uh, our colleagues, whether I 
agreed with some of those stances or not, but I think we are relevant. I think uh, I think the majority caucus is fractured right now. Um, but, you know, I, I still think there's a lot of room for uh, for some bipartisan compromise. And whether you agreed with the Boeing, uh, the Boeing deal or not, um, everyone came together. I, I think it was a great thing. And, and there was no talk of the Republicans or Democrats. We, we tried to focus on bringing jobs to the state, and we did a great job at it. And there was no one that said this was a Republican issue or a Democratic issue. Is there any issue in this session that you see similar to that where it's it's a bipartisan effort where both sides are working together? Uh, or or was that just the, the holiday spirit in December? <laughs> it's a wonderful time of year. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, I don't I don't I don't see that right now. I don't yeah. think. I think there's issues where we could work together. Um I think that there's a little bit of uh I, I don't know what the exact issue would be. I think we're willing to work with, with the majority. We'd, we would really like to get Medicaid expansion passed. Um, I know that there is not willingness to do that on the other side, uh, but I think that if they took a poll of their members, they would find that there actually is, that there's a majority, clear majority in the House that would vote for it. Really? Uh, we're willing to, I, I think so. I think if you add up my number, members to their members, I think there's enough people to get it done. And we're willing to talk about reforms, and we'd be happy to. Now, how much pressure, I know the Missouri Chamber and some of the other business groups, but especially the Chamber, have indicated in the last couple of months that they might take a bigger role in trying to press Absolutely. for it because they're hearing from their members about sure. uh, what benefits they think it could have for them as far as Medicaid expansion, whether one is for or against it. I'm just talking about sure. the 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 uh, what what's what's happening. How do you deal with that, or is it just not even going to come up on the floor? Well, I think it's our job to try and get it to the floor, to try and put enough pressure to, that it's brought to the floor. Um, if you look at the coalition that's assembled to support this, it's it's just amazing. I, I mean, you, you look at the amount of people that came together for Boeing for 8,500 jobs, and then you look at the group that's assembled for, to support Medicaid. I mean, it, it even dwarfs that. And, and you talk about the business community being interested in this. I mean, we're, we, this was 8,500 jobs. Now we're talking about 24,000 jobs long term. Um, that's that's an incredible number, and it, the business community sees that. Now, the now the Republicans that you th- say, obviously it's minority of Republicans, mm-hmm. but the Republicans that you say would support this, um, are they mainly from rural Missouri or from the suburbs? I think it's a mix, to be quite honest. Um, if you, But, you know, I think a lot of people um, have the opinion that uh, Medicaid recipients are only urban, inner city right. Uh, poor working class. So that's not the case. It's uh, a huge uh, numbers of people are f- uh, of uh, would be users are outstate uh, Missourians. I mean, you look at the look at the Boot Hill, look at uh, Haytide, Missouri. They have the hospital, the small hospital down there. I think it's something like forty four percent of their patients are um, rely on those uh, those federal benefits to. Uh, to get them there, they just don't have insurance out there. Um, so it's 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 not an urban rural issue. It's 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 an all encompassing 
issue. And I, I, I truly think the votes would be there if we brought it on the floor, had serious debate. And we are uh, willing to talk about reforms. I, I find it ironic that we are always constantly talking about a broken system when it was a system put in place by Republicans. Um, and so I, I think they tend to not want to mention that fact that this was the system that they created, MoHealthNet, um, signed into law by a Republican governor. Yeah, by Matt Blunt. Yes. That's right. And so this is, this is their broken system that they're telling us doesn't work. Um, and that's fine. We'll, we'd be happy to help fix their system that doesn't work. But uh, I would rather work together. Um, we don't need the credit. Let's just get it done. Um, so, Well, let's talk a little bit about an issue that is going to require some work from both sides, um, either the governor or, or the Democratic Party in general, and that's the tax tax cut proposals. There are a few different ones out there. Joe, yes. why don't you briefly summarize the few proposals that are out okay. there? Okay. I mean, just for a backdrop for the listeners, the, there was a tax cut proposal that got through the General Assembly last session, but yes. uh, the, it was blocked by – the governor vetoed it, and they were unable to get the votes to override it, in part because – They were school, well short of what yeah, they needed. Yeah, because yes. school districts in particular were, <laughs> were against it. This time, um, you've got several Republican proposals – one of them, the governor has announced last week that he was sort of for it, maybe. And that proposal would... Um, that he could possibly maybe be open to it. Yeah, I, I mean... That, is that the Will, Will Krause? Yes. Yes, proposal. yeah. And this is... And the the provisions the governor mm-hmm. said he was okay with were, was uh, basically it calls for two quarter cent reductions in mm-hmm. the individual income tax percentage rate, um, which... When both of them are put in, uh, could cost the state as much as four hundred million a year, and so he said he was okay with that if, if state revenues increase enough so that the foundation formula can be, which is the main aid program for the public schools, is fully funded. Now the foundation formula right now is not fully funded, and his proposed budget for the current fiscal year would uh, cover half of the shortage, with the other half being covered the next year. That's his plan. Um, we had uh, House Budget Chair Rick Stream just here just last week, and Stream said that the Republicans, while they want to increase spending for the public schools, they didn't see, based on the state's current budget situation, where they could take care of half the overage. Right. Now, this was the day before the governor then comes out and says he's for uh, Krause's package if he can if it can be fully funded. So it would sound like that it, that in itself would mean that it would be several years at minimum before mm-hmm. any tax cut proposal could be put in place. Now, um, House uh, Majority Leader uh, John Deal uh, has been pretty critical of the proposal. Right. Uh, the Speaker, Tim Jones, is holding his fire, saying he wants to look at it more closely mm-hmm. and that while he's not keen on most of the governor's proposals, he thought it was at least uh, a movement that the governor was now interested in something. Now, the Democrats have a proposal out, exactly. too, the House yes. Democrats. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of how you see things playing out, at least right now? Well, uh, that proposal is was introduced by Representative John Carpenter, who's from Kansas City. Um, we certainly think it's a, a good alternative. And, th- and that would do what? Well, basically, it readjusts the tax brackets, which haven't been adjusted since the early 30s. Um, when, you know, the average 
income of the citizens of Missouri is, was extremely, uh, extremely lower numbered. Um, this would readjust the brackets and it would actually give a tax cut to 99% of Missourians. Uh, now, if you make over, I believe the number was 300,000, you, you would see an increase in, in your, your tax rate. Uh, but uh, I personally think that that's fine. Um, and, and so his tax cut would be revenue neutral. And it would actually go to everyone as opposed to just certain corporations. I, and I think it's a, I think it's a good, I think it's a good step. Uh, will we get any uh, floor debate on it? Probably not. Okay. Um, so in other words, it's we DOA. Are well, yeah. I, I think that he's, you know, something the speaker's done differently this year, and I will give him credit for, is that all bills are being referred to all committees within a couple of weeks. Uh, so they're not sitting on all of the bills. Um, they're going to the committee. So we're actually getting a lot of hearings on, on Democrat bills, and I'm, I'm very grateful to that. I think it's uh, a step towards better government to, to hear ideas from both sides. And so there is a chance that perhaps we could get that a hearing on that in the House and get it voted out. What do you see the Democrats' role in any sort of tax cut proposal coming out of the House? Well, I think if you looked at what happened in veto session, I yeah. think that there's – uh, no way to not have us at the table. Um, if they want to have some kind of uh, tax cut proposal, any kind of tax proposal, they're going to need support from us. And I think that if you look at what happened last year, I think you'd agree with that. Now, as far as the governor's uh, statement last week, um, I haven't had a chance to, to talk to my caucus on how they feel about that proposal. Uh, but it's my understanding that it's a quarter percent cut right. after the foundation formula is fully funded. And then it would be another quarter percent cut Correct. after there's tax credit reform. Right. And by tax credit reform, I believe it was $110 million per year for low-income housing and $90 million per year for historic tax credits. Um, and both of which, uh, as far as those two numbers, I think are, are doable in the House, where there is much more um, support for those two tax credits than there are in the Senate. As Democrats, we believe that public education should be our number one priority in the state. And fully funding this foundation formula is something that we have wanted to do for a long time. State revenues are up. Now's the time to do it. Um, I know that there is a disagreement on the, 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 the budgetary numbers that Representative yes. Stream wants to do, but uh, uh, Linda Lubring um, has been doing this a long time. This is the, st the state budget chief for, state bud for yes. the listeners. And she's been doing this a very long time, and I am going to uh, – and, and she's kind of a no-nonsense person if you've ever met her. And yeah, I, I talk I to her you, regularly. Sure. Um, and I don't believe this is any kind of political stunt. I, I tend to believe Linda on her numbers. Um, you know, quite frankly, we all know that, you know, something could happen with the economy between now and then. But, you know, that's why the governor has withhold powers. And so I think that we should try and work on his plan of at least fully funding the foundation formula half this year and hopefully half the next year. Um, rather than start at these lower numbers, um, why not at least try to fund our schools? And again, um, not to harp on this, but this foundation formula was a Republican foundation formula again passed by Republican House, Senate, and Governor, and they have refused to fund that formula um, 
to the tune of I think we're now short six hundred million dollars. Yes. Six hundred million dollars from um, the foundation formula. That's for public annually, schools. correct? Yeah. Annually, um, and quite frankly, before that, there was a huge number. Before that foundation formula was adopted, there was an even bigger discrepancy. And so what they did was, under Matt Blunt, they said, okay, let's let's go ahead and erase that that debt that we had to public education. Let's go ahead and say, we're not going to fund it. And I know we were a billion-dollar shortfall. Here's the new foundation formula. This is what it's going to be. We're going to start here. It's a lower number. That is still $600 million short of where it should be. And so it's, we, we talk about job creation all the time, tax cut for businesses. That's what's going to bring jobs here. You know what will bring jobs to this state? An educated workforce. And that's what we have to invest in. Now, um, as the talks go forward, I mean, will, what do you see the Democratic role in this since you are in a small minority in the House? Uh, I mean, so the, you know, and, and uh, the Speaker is committed to bringing up something. Sure. How do you see your role in either reshaping it or blocking it, or what do you think? Well, um, I guess it depends on the specific proposal, but um, I, what I worry about, if you look at like uh, Senator Krause's tax cut proposal that the governor's, the governor's talking about, um, I think that may be problematic in his own caucus over in the Senate, okay. and we'd have to see that getting out. Uh, it doesn't look like there's any. Um, consistency between between their messages, um, between the House, the Senate, the, the Speaker, and the floor leader. Everyone wants something different. Uh, but um, And I believe also that the governor said that he wanted this tax cut proposal to go to individuals, right? It's an yes. individual tax cut yeah. as opposed to yeah, no you know, some of these S, corpora- S corporations or, say, a law firm that employs, uh, you know, two paralegals and a receptionist, and then he's pay- then paying... Um, a lower tax rate than his employees because he's a job creator. Yeah, well, the governor said he'll veto any tax cut bill that has the what's called the pass-through right. tax credit, which is what you're talking. Ta- yes. I mean, tax cut, which is what you're talking about, which is for sure. law, basically for law firms, sure. and other firms. I, like I, I don't think that's a. I don't think that's a. Um, that if you lower that tax burden for for some of those people, I, that's not. They're not going to create any additional jobs. I don't believe that. Uh, so. You know, it depends on the proposal that comes, um, but, you know, clearly uh, whether they want to hear our voices now during session or not, they will when it comes time for, for veto session. Now, what about right to work and some of the other – there's a lot of labor-related sure. labor issues that, that the speaker is committed to bringing up? Uh, sure, and I think, uh, I think between the speaker and the lieutenant governor, I think they've attended one too many ALEC conventions. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, you know, certainly – uh, the speaker has made that it seems his number one priority. In fact, I I can't even count how many uh, bills have been filed dealing with right to work or uh, uh, getting rid of the state's prevailing wage. Um, it's it's an endless stream this year. And uh, why do you think that is? Um, quite frankly, I think he needs to try and differentiate himself between the other two gentlemen in the Senate that are running for attorney general, as he is. And I think he thinks this will help him out. Uh, I don't think an attack on workers is the right thing to do. Um, certainly when you look at what happened with the Boeing proposal, I think labor unions were a, a critical element of trying to lure that company here. Uh, in the end, Boeing stayed in, in Washington State, which was a 
non-right-to-work state. Um, they seriously looked at, at coming here, a non-right-to-work state. They have a very skilled workforce here, as they know. Um, construction industry, the construction laborers, um, have agreed to work, agreed to work uh, um, three shifts without overtime, a huge, huge boost to um, getting the plant done early and, and, and under budget without working, without the overtime. I mean, when you look at what happens in the state, uh, look at, look at um, Medicaid, look at um, oh, any of the, the, the tax credit proposals. The business community, is when they need something passed, where do they go? They, they call organized labor. And, and they say, we need your help getting this created because or getting this passed because this will help us create jobs. Um, and then we turn around and this is, this is what we do. Uh, I, I don't think it's right. I don't think it will create a single job in the state. In fact, if you look at, uh, there's not one state where you look and you compare a non-right-to-work state to a right-to-work state um, where the wages are nothing but lower. So every right-to-work state has a lower rate when compare a lower wage and benefit package when you compare a non-right-to-work state. To another issue that yes. the Democrats will likely be playing some defense on, we have photo ID for, yes. for voters. Joe, you had a story go up this week. Um, well, today, this morning, yeah. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what the status is. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> bottom line is, as the representative knows, um, some Republicans have been pressing for photo ID for years. There was a bill passed and actually enacted in 2006. It was tossed out by the state Supreme Court saying it violated the state constitution. So there's been these efforts over the years, and that's what the story touches on. Now the current um, situation is is that uh, the Republicans, mindful of all this, have a two-track uh, plan. There's the uh, bill I'm sorry, uh, sponsored by several people that would impose various regulations that has gotten a lot of attention as far as various requirements on photo IDs and, and would restrict what it would mandate that they be shown at the polls and would restrict what could be shown at the polls. But before any of that can pass, they have to pass a constitutional amendment. So uh, State Rep. Stanley Krause uh, has sponsored a bill, as he has every year, a, a resolution that does not need the governor's signature, that has to get through the House and the Senate to get on the ballot. And the plan is for them to get the constitutional amendment proposal on the ballot. And uh, the s- speaker was very candid when I talked to him a couple days ago, saying that while the House may approve one of these uh, bills stipulating what sort of photo IDs you're talking about, um, he envisioned that probably that law will not be enacted, that they're not going to go that far, and they'll wait till after the voters have spoken in the fall. The idea being that if it's approved, that then I think they feel that their hand would be stronger in trying to put together what sort of photo ID requirements they would want. What's the Democratic minority's stance on the photo ID effort to begin with, and what would you be doing to either help or stop it, depending on what side you're on? Well, uh, you know, I think if you if you look at what this would actually do, um, it would disenfranchise over 200,000 Missourians. I believe the Secretary of State's office said it was— 220, uh, yeah, about 150,000 who don't have driver's license and another 70,000 who actually use expired driver's licenses when they right. vote. That's right. They're assumed that many of those are probably elderly. Sure, sure. And, and I'm just going to say what I think this is. I mean, uh, those voters that tend to not have IDs, 
tend to be older, uh, older citizens or minorities that tend to vote for Democrats. Um, it's, a, it's another very strong uh, push by ALEC uh, to, to disenfranchise Democratic voters. Um, I'm absolutely against it. I, I would be happy if they could show me one case of voter fraud where, where this was needed. And to this date, I don't believe I've seen a single instance, not one. And they can't show us any. Uh, but they just know there's fraud. They know because I guess they're just guessing, uh, even though they haven't actually documented any cases. Do you think it's, it. it's because Democrats have generally been winning statewide? Even I'm though- sure it's absolutely because Democrats have been winning statewide. Um, if, you, if you look at the, the makeup of the, the legislature and you look at the statewide office holders, we are on, in a, a super minority in the House. Some of that has to deal with uh, redistricting. A lot of it has to do with the amount of money that's going to the other side from from business and corporate interests. Um, there's roughly 15 seats that should be in a Democratic hands right now. Um, if it and it would probably be a different story if uh, if they weren't uh, uh, funded in such extreme numbers by by some of these interests, um, but. Uh, Look at the, the statewide office holders. Most of them are Democrats. They win by, you know, seemingly big margins. Uh, I think the state is, is pretty close to 50-50, um, closer than most states ever get. Uh, we go both ways. People tend to be uh, conservative Democrats um, outstate as opposed to, um, you know, some of the more um, Southern states, we, we, we go back and forth, but the majority of our statewide officeholders are Democrats. Claire McCaskill just won a, another six-year term, and uh, I don't think that the makeup of the General Assembly accurately reflects the, the voter makeup of the state. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. What's the plan in, in terms of how you impede this? Uh, well, if it go, hopefully the – we don't have the numbers to stop it in the House. Um, I yeah. fully recognize that, but hopefully the – the Senate uh, recognizes that this is a uh, partisan attack and, and hopefully stands up and filibusters this. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't speak for, I can't speak for Senator Justice and, and what their plan is, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I'm hopeful that, that that's one of those issues uh, that, that they stand up and fall on the sword on. Now, um, is it harder to filibuster when you're dealing with a, re- a resclution to put something on the ballot because I mean that's basically what you're talking about sure. correct mm-hmm. is trying to filibuster <clears throat> the uh, proposed ballot sure. measure uh, well, you know what I've heard the argument before that uh, well, this is just to let the voters decide this is going to let the voters decide um, the voters decided on conceal and carry uh, the voters decided on uh, right to work in the 70s. Um, the voters decided on campaign contribution limits. The Republican majorities in both chambers had no problem overturning the will of the people. So I find it ironic that they think that they want to hear from the voters of the state when they seem to have no problem overturning the will of the people. And again, on Prop B, too, on the uh, the puppy mill legislation. Mm-hmm. It's just a never-ending stream of <clears throat> overturning the will of the people and telling them they just actually didn't know what they were voting on. They just didn't clearly understand. They had a much better uh, understanding of what was going on. Well, if this gets on the ballot, how do you fight it? I mean, do you think that the voters recognize – I mean, because some polls have shown strong – I, I haven't seen Probably any of the support. polling. So, okay. well, I, th- I think on uh, on the surface, a lot of things uh, uh, seem that way. If 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 you and I um, 
you know, of course I have a driver's license. Um, if I went down and to someone and said, well, do you think we should have a, a photo ID to vote? They said, well, sure, of course. I drive every day. How could you get by without driving? Well, my grandma's never driven a day in her life. Um, does she need to have an, uh, a photo ID? She doesn't have a driver's license. Um, you know, I think there's just instances where people don't understand. Does she if have a birth certificate? Poor, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'd have to ask her. Yeah, but I mean, that's the <laughs> She's point. She's almost right. 90. Yeah. But, but yeah. sure, do you have a birth certificate? Well, of course, everyone has a birth certificate. Well, actually, a lot of people probably couldn't tell you where their birth certificate is if they're an older, older uh, uh, citizen of Missouri. Um, okay, now how do I get a birth certificate? Well, you, you, depending on where you live, you go downtown to Vital Records and, okay, how do I get there? I don't have a, I don't have a car. I don't have a driver's license. Well, you, you can get on a bus and you can take a bus down and you can go down there. And then after you do that, you can go and try and register after you get your driver's license. Uh, so we're basically telling those citizens that even though they've been doing something, they've been exercising their right to vote for maybe 50, 60 years, um, we want you to jump through some additional hoops. Now, now to be fair, um, a couple that propose uh, photo ID requirements would exempt people over sixty-five. Just that's true. I mean, that's true. Some would, and some wouldn't. Sure, but, right. but that's kind of sure. what's happening. So, just to kind of put that as a backdrop. Sure. So, uh, do you see any timetable for when some of this stuff may come up? I know the House Committee has already approved both the constitutional sure. amendment and at least one of the bills. Um, I I couldn't tell you when uh, that would come up, but I, you know, my understanding is. Uh, uh, knowing that this is an election year, um, that they are going to try and shield their members from any kind of uh, um, hard vote before filing is closed for re-election. Uh, I think that uh, if you see any of the right-to-work proposals, they won't be until after filing closes. And I think that's a, a uh, product of the fact that they don't want their members to have to take a vote on it. To, they may get a primary if they vote no, or they may get someone if they vote yes. Um, and so I think they're they're waiting until that's done. Now that's interesting because now the for our listeners, uh, candidate filing begins in about a week, goes from February twenty fifth for a month. So we're talking about the end of March. Mm-hmm. Now a couple other things that have come up is um, impeachment. The, the uh, Republican majority has been a bit more feisty than in recent years as far as really getting disturbed with what they see as the governor either not doing or doing. Sure. And so there's several impeachment proposals that have been filed, including a couple extra ones last week. Uh, right. They're faulting him on several actions, but uh, I'd l- let you talk about it. What What are the Democrats feeling about this? What do you think this does, and are there going to be any votes on it? I think it's absolutely absurd. I think it's just, uh, you know, I think it's the, the crazy wing of the Republican Party, um, Running the uh, running the legislature, they they filed the articles of impeachment, and they were going to form a committee, and then they admitted that they were never actually going to meet, and they were never actually going to take a vote. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's not a political stunt, I don't know what is. Well, what's the re- what's the purpose then? I guess to try and uh, either one make the uh, governor just look bad in general, or to um, try and appease some of the more crazy Tea Party wing of their party to say that they're actually doing something. Uh, I'm sure they get uh, emails every day saying impeach the governor. I know I do um, for some just absolute ridiculous stuff, things that happen in Washington. And they think anyone that should be uh, anyone that's in office that is a Democrat should be impeached. Um, 
and I think this is probably their way of trying to tell those people that they're they're doing something. So rather than tell them that they're um, uh, being absurd, they're they're going to go ahead and and uh, support that issue. Well, for our listeners, let's run through what a few of the issues are. One is uh, the same-sex tax uh, tax issue. Mm-hmm. The other is setting um, a date for some special elections. Yeah. De- um, well, delays in setting the special mm-hmm. elections yeah. for several vacant House seats that are now occupied by mm-hmm. or had been occupied by Republicans in most cases. And there's also one Democratic vacancy. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the bottom line is some Republicans contend that the delay has been to try to keep Republicans from having the veto-proof majority in the House. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's still a vacancy – a vacant seat in the Senate, right. which had been occupied by a Democrat, but which Republicans think they have a good shot of capturing, which is in Jefferson County. So, are we missing any there, or is that? I think is that, that's it. Those I think the that's two. the guts. The so that and the and the governor allowing um, uh, same-sex couples who have been married in other states mm-hmm. uh, to file joint tax returns in the state, and he's saying he's simply complying with the federal right, law right. on that. Yep. Missouri, the Missouri Constitution says that we have to be in compliance with federal tax law. So the governor is doing what he is constitutionally required to do. Um, having said that, I am absolutely glad that he did it. I think it's uh, something that we should have done in the past, and I think that's, that uh, gay marriage is probably something that we should recognize in this state. Do um, you think there's any chance of that with the constitutional amendment barring it? Well, in the courts, there's, there's, I think, more of a chance. Yes. Than I, think that's, I think that's the case. I think it's going to be an issue for the courts to decide. I personally believe that it's, uh, uh, that it's uh, something that uh, our state should follow, some of the more progressive states. Um, some people don't feel that way, but uh, that's my personal opinion. Um, the issue of the, uh, the delay in um, filing those seats the governor called for a special election in August, which would then, in theory, if the Republicans win the seats that they think they will, um, would then give them their veto power back. Right. And they filed the articles of impeachment after he called those special elections, which would then give them those veto numbers back. So how does that make any sense? Interesting. They filed the they filed the they filed the articles saying that he was trying to keep them from getting a veto number after he filed or called the elections in which it would give them the veto numbers back. It's just a political stunt. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. All right, I think we got a we're running out of time here so we should close this out. Um but over the past few days former representative um Ron Casey I was not familiar with him. I, I was Jefferson not. County Democrat. Mm-hmm. He yes. was term limited out. Um, he just left office a year ago. Yes, and I'm, I'm just sure a wonderful, you just a wonderful man, uh, respected on both sides of the aisle. Uh, just a just a friend to everyone. Um, he was one of those uh, reps that maybe wasn't as active on the floor, but he spent countless hours in his office writing handwritten letters to all of his constituents that contacted him, calling them back on the phone. Um, he just made his entire career about constituent services, and he was just loved and incredibly respected in his district in all of Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. He'll be truly missed. Yeah, he fell on the ice over the weekend mm-hmm. and died. Our thoughts are, of course, with his family. To close us out here, though, um, you can see all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @csmcdaniel. Joe, you can be followed at J Manis. That's J M A N N I E S. And you can follow the representative on Twitter. Yes, absolutely. At okay. Jacob Hummel. Very good. We'll be back next week, hopefully with Jason Rosenbaum. Until then, so long. So long. <laughs>